When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. You're listening to Awesome Etiquette, and we are very proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. And this episode is part of the Infinite Guest year-end extravaganza. It is the perfect time to sample some of our other shows in the network. So I've got power again after a week. Oh, so yeah. I was this close to getting a hot shower. Oh, <laughs> it came on very late. What that smell it is? came on late. Just kidding. So what have you guys been doing? Just going to mom and dad's house? Um, yep. Yeah, okay. for washing and, and and that stuff. But I'll tell you what else we've been doing. So we've been lighting candles, and the power came on, and all of a sudden the house word to life. The refrigerator kicked on, and you hear all these things snap as the electronics yeah, totally. turn on. And it was a little garish and unsettling. We we found ourselves walking around, shutting off all the lights, just. Um, um, trying to enjoy and hang on to that that candlelight glow for you just a little bit longer. You guys are going to be off the grid in like two years. Y'all are going to have some babies, get through the convenience <laughs> of like having, you know, needing some electricity while the babies are really little, and then you're just going to like ditch it. We're, we're calling it generator lighting, oh, and it's a, a low light scheme with mostly candles and one old tungsten bulb. Oh god, <laughs> so cheese. <laughs> Well, that sounds better than my day yesterday. I had the meanest cab driver I've ever had in my life when I was on my way to LaGuardia last night. Okay, down in New York. Yeah, so I was in New York. Um, the web series that I do called um, Awkward Moments is going to be picked up again. And so... Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. It's a lot of fun. It's on youlive.com. And it's, um, and it's a little edgy. For those of you that might be our more conservative traditional listeners or traditional <laughs> listeners you know it it definitely pushes the envelope what are some of the themes so some of the things we did last season were um when a friend lies to you or you catch your friend in a white lie mm-hmm. how do you handle that situation we did when your friend's husband is a jerk how you deal with awkward moments it, basically yes they're they're truly awkward moments but yeah it's 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 a lot of fun and i was really excited so the the way it worked out was they really wanted some kind of a holiday episode so we did kind of a rush trip down to new york but last time i was in new york i I I got into four cabs who all refused me service for going to JFK. Which I think they're not supposed to do. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know. I'm sure they have the right to kick anyone out of their cab that they want. But it was really frustrating because it was Uh like I was pressed for time and I was trying to get to the airport. I just want to go home. Exactly. (laughs) So anyway, I, I got in and I said LaGuardia and the guy was like, all right, fine. And I was like. Just thank you so much. Like, thank you so much because the last time I was in New York, I had four people turn me down and it really messed with me. And Mm. I'm, you know, I almost missed my flight. So I just said, thank you. Thank you so much. And he starts complaining to me about how it was so terrible for him to take me on as a fare 
like literally got a 20 minute lecture Mm -hmm. on why he was not going to make any money, which, by the way, when you work on a tip basis, like that is not what you want to say to the person who's going to be checking Mm -hmm. that box of 20 percent, 25 percent, 30 percent that they have on those little screens that that complete your transaction with the cab driver. But it it just it rankled me. I was like, okay, I and I just said to him, well, you know, I'm I'm really sorry about that, but I just want to like I'm just trying to express my gratitude to you. Mm-hmm. So we both kind of just shut up for the rest of the ride. You know, I make some phone calls, and then we get there, and I said, well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. And he was just silent, didn't even acknowledge my thank you, like nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like. You know, sir, I am just trying to say thank you to you. It would be so nice if you could acknowledge my existence that, that you know, like, and I, I did. I had just tipped him, too. And he, he deserved the well, tip. He drove me. But it's still like, come on, I'm a person. And I'm thinking about our last couple of episodes where we've been talking about when you're, you're scared that a please or thank you won't be received well or when they start yeah. to sound insincere to you. And here you are facing a situation where you're really trying to express thanks to someone. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank I appreciate it. And the inability you. to receive that thanks or to to have to it received. It, or... it wasn't received. My thank yeah. you was hanging mm-hmm. out there. Like a like a freaking hanging Chad. It was like not counted, and I was like, "Come on, I am a nice person." Well, what I, the heck? I'm going to confirm you are a nice person, and thank oh, you thank for you. for getting up this morning and being here. Because I did not get home till very late, and I'll admit I'm a very and after traveler. our trials and tribulations last week. It is nice to be back in the studio oh and gosh. back on schedule. I love that so much. It and is. Yes, last well, week got nutty. While we're acknowledging in our in our incredible sound engineer Chris, who is on his deathbed, but here struggling, making it through. Anyway, we are very glad to be here with you, and we're glad you're here with us. <laughs> and it's probably time to simply get to some questions. Sure, <laughs> you're right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. So our first question is about fundraising. It begins, Hi, I am fundraising for a small nonprofit. They have a longtime donor that is cross with them at the moment and has not sent his promised gift for this season yet. What is the most sincere and tactful way to ask him to send the check soon? Thank you for your consideration, putting the fun in fundraising. Oh, that's cute. This is one where, you know, on the one hand, because it's a donation, it's not like something you're invoicing for. I, I, My instinct is you can't do that. Like, just be, and not only that, but the guy's mad at you. Like, that's, yes. That, so, so first, I just don't think you should just straight up ask. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, though, if there have been conversations about his donation and that's something that is indeed coming, you could call or write and say something like, you know, hi, Jim, we're always so grateful for your generous donations. And we just wanted to check in and see if you were still willing to contribute this year. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're always saying, get his buy in Just say, like, is this something you're still willing to do? We had talked about it, you know, 
I don't think you need to allude to things being bad at the moment. I but... Not necessarily. You're maybe you might mention the the pledge, right, or the commitment for that a certain had, had gift. Want to be sure we didn't misplace or lose track of. I wouldn't yeah. do that. That's fake. That's like Good that's point. the person who, when they receive a gift, say, "Oh, I left mine in the car" or something like that. You need to keep it direct and you need to keep it simple. Um, the other option that you have. Um, this comes from TK. TK is to fix the problem. If he's cross with the organization, there must be a reason. So if I worked at this place, I mean, I would probably do my best to talk with this person, alleviate the problem, and then address the issue of the donation once the problem has been sufficiently settled. I think that's brilliant. The very direct approach beyond just where's the donation? (laughs) What's the problem? Why is this relationship deteriorating? Try to address it and try to rebuild it. Um, We had a woman who used to do sales at the Emily Post Institute who had worked in fundraising for many years before she worked with us. And she used to talk about um, relationships with donors and that it's really important to maintain good relations, not just about pulling the lever on the slot machine or invoicing people for an annual donation. But it's really about building and growing, sustaining relationships. And if this relationship's deteriorated, I think that's the the heart of the advice is to look at ways to repair that relationship. Um, In some ways, it's a chance to shine. Everybody's going to have good etiquette when everything's going great and it's a perfect season. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? (laughs) But when when things start to deteriorate a little bit, when relationships are strained, that's oftentimes the opportunity to to reinvest and really, really shine. So there you go, TK. Take a minute to uh, see if it's your place or to talk to the person whose place it would be to speak with this donor before asking for his donation. But you can check up and just find out on the status of it. I don't Mm -hmm. think you can ask him directly for it. We hope that helps. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Todd writes to us about Brazilian dining styles. Lizzie and Dan, while living and working in Brazil a few years ago, I noticed a new style of eating. Think of it like a reverse continental style, where the fork is held in the right hand and the knife is in the left. Uh, throughout the meal. Now, I don't even know if this style is correct in Brazilian culture, but since nearly everyone I saw ate like this, I adopted the style also to fit in. I ended up becoming quite adept at it, and I have continued to use it now that I'm back in the States. However, I have never heard anyone mention if it's acceptable or not. Could you please weigh in? Love the show. Thanks in advance, Todd. Hi, Todd. Thanks, and thanks for the question. Uh, this is a fun one. I've I've definitely heard about this style of eating in Brazil before. I'm I'm not an expert on no, manners in Central South America, but I, <laughs> I have heard of this before, um, and and it's definitely going to stand out to some people because it's so common um, in the Western dining tradition to hold your knife in your right hand or your dominant hand, which right. is the dominant hand for so many people. And the continental style, fork stays in the left, knife stays in the right. The American style, knife starts in the right, but you put it down, fork comes to the right. The zigzag. But um, the idea of holding the knife in the left hand is pretty familiar to anybody who's left-handed. I was when I was reading it, I was like, "Wait, he's just eating like a lefty." <laughs> yes, and and we definitely say if you truly are a lefty, like our president, you sign your Go name with your left hand. Yeah. Um, if you're one of those ambidextrous lefties, I sometimes suggest people stick with knife in the right, just because it's going to stand out less to people around you. You might answer less questions about it. And one thing I would say to our, our questioner here, Todd, is be prepared to talk about your trip to Brazil. Be prepared how, to talk about... Started. I'm not a lefty. I just spent a lot of time in Brazil. Exactly. <laughs> so for a cosmopolitan, international man of mystery like you, who, who who's <laughs> going to continue to eat this way, um, just be prepared to, to answer some questions about it if it comes up. But if it's what's comfortable for you, if it's what gives you control, particularly of your knife, um, I say continue to eat that way. So it's, it's totally appropriate. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this question comes from Shirley, and she's writing to us about um, – Actually, like grammar school admissions process. Mm -hmm. Greetings, Lizzie and Dan. My husband and I have homeschooled our children this year. We are in the process of searching for an independent education for them. We are considering nine different independent schools. As we're going through this stressful and competitive admissions process, do you have any advice on email correspondence with admissions, parent tours, parent interviews, also when my husband cannot attend an interview due to work, preparing children for student interviews, attire for parents and children, how to accept a, a de declination to a school? I had one bad experience where my son was approved for admission and I took it the wrong way and had gotten slightly emotionally passionate regarding him with the admissions director via email. How can I tame my reaction? Thank you. Best regards, Shirley. That, that's a quite, quite a number of questions. Dan, do you want to start us off? Sure. Let's, let's start to unpack this a little bit. Um, I'd like to start with the the process that's the interview process because sure, there was a question it. here about interviewing and there are a couple of checklist items you can keep And in it sounds mind. like she's thinking of a few of them. I and, mean, that was a good list it, that she it had. It really was. And, and the forethought here indicates to me that you're going to be successful with this process and I wish you the best of luck. You've definitely got um, some work ahead of you getting through admissions to nine schools or the admissions process. Right. Um, 
so my little my little short form checklist for preparing for an interview, and this is going to work great for parents or kids, okay. is first of all to be on time. Five to ten minutes early is best. You don't need to be a lot earlier than that, but you definitely don't want to keep anybody waiting for an interview. We always say dress one notch up. So you don't want to step so far out of your comfort zone or outside the situation that you end up looking like you're wearing a costume. But just think about Good what point. you would usually do, what you would think would be appropriate, and then try to notch it up. Be sure that obviously everything you're wearing is going to be clean and neat and well presented. Take some pride in how you present yourself and other people are going to notice it. You can make lots of valid fashion choices, but take some care with how you present for an interview. Remember, this is a checklist. Remember to turn off your phone. There's probably no phone call that's so critical that it should take your attention away from what you're doing. Be prepared to answer some questions about yourself and to ask some questions uh, about about the the organization that you're visiting. Do a little bit of research ahead of time that shows some forethought. It shows some care. Uh, definitely be prepared to smile, look them in the eye, shake hands firmly, and exchange names. Uh, a confident and sure self-introduction will really go a long way towards making a positive first impression. Probably something you want to practice with your kid, too, if they're going to be getting interviewed or interacting with this teacher. It's a great tip. Um, and the other thing I'd say is be prepared with any materials that you might need. So if that's transcripts, so be sure you have everything in hand or that you can get it to somebody easily. Have um, a business card if it's important to leave a business card. This is more for a job interview than an admissions process. And then the final thing I would say is be prepared to thank everyone. You want to thank them twice. You want to thank them verbally on your way out the door with another handshake. And you want to follow up with a written thank you. And the the handwritten note I'm going to suggest is really important anytime anyone's taken the time to interview you. And this will start to transition our advice to how to handle the acceptance and the rejection. And that's that we always advise that you send a thank you note whether or not you get the job or whether or not you end up getting into the school. (laughs) And it's important for for growing and building that relationship. You're thanking the person for taking the time to interview you, not for letting you in or getting you the job. So you're thanking them for their time. And I can't tell you the number of times I've personally heard about people that were waitlisted at schools, but were able to write follow-up letters, talk about how important it was to them to get into the school, why it was their first choice. And it were those. It was that follow-up communication where they really started to build a personal relationship with someone in the admissions department where they want an ally from a, an admin there or sure. somebody who was watching their particular case that um, ultimately ended up getting the person into that school. And I know a couple of cases where that's true. So you Good. definitely want to stay on that best behavior and think about what your follow-up's going to look like and be really intentional about it. In regards to your husband not being able to attend due to work, um, I don't know how each of these different schools is going to handle that. Um, some schools might say that they they need to see the parent's dedication and commitment to the child and the child's education. Other schools are going to say, you're a parent, you're working hard, it's great that you can co-parent and one person be able to handle this while the other is still you know, keeping the job afloat and 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 dedicating themselves to that. So I I can't advise you on that. Um, but when it comes to the um, the emotional side of this that you were asking about, I think that you always and I'm going to say it again that you always want to give your emotions time to process, but do not actually act upon your emotions while you're in that emotional state. Um, I know personally that I have, you know, read an email when I'm heated and the next thing I know I'm writing an email back 
And I've I've then gone back and read the email that was sent to me again and been like, oh, wait, actually, they did say what I needed them to say, or this was the interpretation of it. Maybe they didn't mean it quite like that. Exactly. <laughs> so always, um, whenever you have a response to someone, go back and check what the what you're responding to. That way, you it's actually... Um, a communication that has point to it because otherwise you're just kind of senselessly putting stuff out there. Um, so, and I think that probably would have helped you in the situation where you misread mm-hmm. the um, the acceptance or or the consideration of your child and mm-hmm. got emotional about it because it is an emotional thing. It's your kids, the mm-hmm. education. I mean, that's huge. Um, I also just want to say that you always should read communications that have this level of importance out loud or have somebody else read them out loud to you. That way you can hear how someone else would interpret your words on the page. Um, You don't want to send anything when you're super keyed up. Instead, you know, wait a few hours, wait a day, reread that original email. Um, Like I said, try to respond addressing the issues stated in the email and stick to the points. Um, And again, always just wait to send that email um, until you've had more eyes on it and had a chance to help you filter out your emotions from the facts uh, that you're trying to either address or convey. I think that's really that's really sound advice. Um, it, by way of concluding, I would just say remind yourself the game's not over, <laughs> that you don't yeah. ever want to burn bridges. You don't want to uh, succumb to that anger and, and do something, obviously, that you're going to regret later on. I can tell that, that you're passionate about this. You're passionate about your kids. It's important to convey that passion, but at the same time to convey it in a way, obviously, that's going to be to their best advantage. So I, I really wish you the best of luck and keep up that diligent good work. And I got my fingers crossed for you and your kids. And I'm sure it's going to work out great. <laughs> good luck, Shirley. Our next question relates to gift giving. Ali wants to know, my question relates to a relatively minor issue that my husband and I have with gift giving. Some members of my husband's side of the family never acknowledge any of the gifts we send for birthdays or other special occasions. We often have to follow up multiple times to check that a present has been received, and we also rarely find out whether the present was something they liked. We're not expecting a formal thank you card, but just a quick text or message on social media to let us know that they've received the present. Also, because we don't know whether they like a present we've given them, it's difficult to know what to get them next time. We have a good relationship with our relatives, and they're all polite people. Is there any way that we could raise this with them? There totally is. I like that she gives them credit, but they are not being polite. (laughs) (laughs) They aren't sending thank you notes or mentioning it. That's, like, not cool. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Someone send you a gift. All right. Somehow. Let them know somehow that you've received it. (laughs) At least a text. Come on. Anyway. I like that allowance there for the text or the social media. I like it, but I'm also like, man, you deserve a thank you note. (laughs) <laughs> All right. I I do think it's a, important to address this one. Um, you know, if it, your mom always does this and it's the cutest thing, Dan. But if you ask a bunch of seven-year-olds what you should do, they unanimously say, well, stop sending gifts. I don't want <laughs> to advise you to stop sending gifts. Um, but I do think that it's it's time to address the problem. You've hinted at it and they haven't picked up on what you're throwing down. So it's definitely okay. Um, but what I would do is I would, I would just call and say, you know, hey, Kathy, it would be so great if once you guys receive gifts from us, you could just give a call or shoot a text to let us know that the gifts arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not include and if you liked them yep. because I think that starts to get into this kind of like and if you liked them. Like yeah. I, I just feel like that could be so easily misinterpreted as like 
ah, I'm so frustrated over here in this end. And I just, you know, it'd be really nice if I knew if you even liked these gifts. Well, then would, would anyone ever tell you if they didn't? Right. Exactly. You know, thank you for the gift. It really wasn't what I was looking for, but nice try. Exactly. So <laughs> what I would suggest that you do is rather than just asking them or, or, or sorry, rather than just buying gifts at random and hoping they'll be liked. Call and ask this year before you buy a gift. Yeah. Like it's it, it's so much easier to get the buy-in of the gift, you know, the 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 acceptance and enjoyment of the gift on the yeah. front end by knowing that the person really wants this item. Yeah. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Just call and say that all you want is the recognition that the gifts arrive because you yourself has said you don't need a thank you note. You just need this. So if that's if that's the way you truly feel, mm-hmm. that's totally okay, and you can say you know. We just want to know that they've arrived so that, you know, we don't have to worry that they're lost in the in the holiday hubbub. We've been talking a lot about the storm. Pooch got a new phone. We came home the other day and it was buried in the snowbank. FedEx had left it and then it had oh, snowed then on snow top of it. And as we were shoveling our way out, and it, only if we had really shoveled off the whole deck would we have found the phone. Presents do get lost. It does happen. It's not just a theoretical <laughs> maybe <laughs> situation. So definitely feel confident in saying something and then asking for um, their, their holiday list, their Christmas list ahead of time. Okay. Allie writes... My question relates to the correct way to eat bread with dinner. I remember being taught to take a smallish portion of butter with my butter knife and then place it on the side of my bread plate and then to tear off a small bite-sized piece of bread and to butter each piece before eating it. I also remember being told to never cut bread with a knife. I've had a few people comment on the way I eat bread, so now I'm wondering, is this method still considered the right way to eat bread or am I doing it all wrong? Well, we love to talk and give long answers, but this is a short one. Absolutely not. (laughs) You're eating bread what is traditionally the correct way. You tear off a small bite-sized piece, butter that piece, and put it in your mouth. The old expression, we break bread still applies. And you break breads with, with friends. It's the it's a common expression for sharing food with someone else. It's a great way to remember uh, that you don't cut bread with a knife at the table. Uh, there's another old expression, or actually a new expression, the newest thing since sliced bread. Sliced bread's a relatively new invention. Um, in the long history of bread, the idea that you would ever cut bread with a knife is relatively new. So this is a very traditional etiquette. You break bread, particularly at the table. So take heart and be confident. You're definitely eating bread the correct way. Our next question starts with a smiley face. Good morning. First off, I love this podcast, and that's from someone who rarely listens to them. You two are part of One Morning Run every week, and it's fantastic to hear such good advice during that time of day before the world is taken over in so many ways. My question is about the workplace. Given the nature of the question, I'd prefer to remain anonymous. Okay, we can do that. My manager was recently let go for reasons of which I'm not fully aware. Since then, I have a new manager who I've known for years and was a manager of mine long ago. I'm learning quickly about ways in which my recent manager had burned bridges to other teams and departments before the exit. This is leaving my team with a kind of wreckage of internal relationships. Business, of course, continues. Do you have any advice for rebuilding bridges in the workplace after someone leaves with negativity in their wake? We're instilling a new sense of collaboration while hoping to avoid being painted with the same brush as our former manager. Some days the challenge feels insurmountable, but it's worth doing right and doing this well. Thanks, Anonymous. That is a tough spot that Anonymous and his team have been put in. Um... I think continuing to express to these other departments how much you sincerely want to make working together a good experience for all 
and then actually doing the things that make it enjoyable to work together is the only solution. I it's couldn't like, agree more. It's the only way to go. Action speaks so loudly they in a do. situation and it's, like this. It's so wonderful to put out that intention first of, listen, we know there was a difficult relationship in the past, but we want you to know that we really want to move forward collaboratively and have a good experience with you all. But then actually in your emails, have your tone be kind and caring. And I mean, obviously it doesn't have to be sugar-coated, but it does need to be um, something that when someone reads it, they're going to feel good about reading it. You know what I mean? Or simple actions when you come to the department to ask for something that you aren't just walking in and taking over, but that you're asking for the time to meet with them, that sort of a thing, that you're praising the work that they do. Um, I think – Really making it explicit, taking taking a little bit of an extra step because the relationship has was, deteriorated. Yeah. So it's not a subtle cue. It's not a – Well, and what I love is that this is I, – I like that while he feels – you know, obviously he's he's got to be frustrated that his, his former manager has put him in this position. He's like – I love the fact that he's not focused on that annoying part of it. He's focused on how to rebuild. I mean already Anonymous is like got eight gold stars in my book. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, also think of things like um, what is it? What is it that Anna calls it? It's the something sandwich. And it's not the compliment sandwich because she takes it a step further. She goes to the praise, concern, suggest right. the evolution of the compliment right. sandwich. So my version of that was like um, the, the compliment, the con- the constructive criticism and then the positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And th- that would sound like. You know, you guys did a great job with X proposal. I want to take a closer look at these sections, but I'm really confident with the direction this is going. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you're, you're addressing what, you know, you can still, even when you have to talk with them about something that might be difficult concerning their work, mm-hmm. you can still do it in a way that shows you're being positive about it and that you know it's all going to turn out okay in the end. That's the thing that people get so frustrated at work. They're so scared that it won't turn out well yep. that that they let that fear take over actually addressing the things they need to do to move the project forward. And and you pointed it out right in the, the body of the email. There's already a focus on making things better, on moving forward, repairing relationships. I love the line, business, of course, continues. Business, of course, continues. <laughs> well written, ni- nicely constructed. Anonymous, we hope that that helps um, and that, that you're able to move forward. But it actually kind of does sound like he, he has a good handle on the situation and is doing the right things. It really does. Just keep modeling that great behavior and you're you're going to be in great shape. I love this question from Xander in San Francisco because it's um, it's it's one of those that's so very, very easy to address. And yet it's something that you don't want to see let go. I have an issue I come up against a lot. I'm a young professional. I believe at 31 I can still be considered young. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) And I look younger. Oh, (laughs) life gets even better for Xander. I'm jealous. Okay. Although raised in a fairly informal environment, I was taught that I refer to individuals older than myself and people I don't know by Mr. and Ms., Even parents of friends of mine growing up were always Mr. Smith and Ms. Smith, and not Mrs. as a political statement important to my mother. I currently work in a position where I email people I don't know quite a bit. 
And I have maintained this formality in these emails, on phone calls, and in my professional interactions with others, waiting to be told, oh, you can call me so-and-so. Am I being too formal? Part of this is that I do look young, and calling people by titles makes me feel younger, which might not be the greatest position to be in professionally. So when should I use Mr. and Ms.? Thank you. I really love your podcast, Xander, in San Francisco. Thank you, Xander. We really love your question. (laughs) Addressing people appropriately is uh, so important to good etiquette, and you are doing this exactly right. Um, I don't want you to feel like the perception of you as young means that you shouldn't do the correct thing, and you're absolutely doing the correct thing, particularly with people you don't know and people that are older than you. You've identified all of the important points here. Um, You're using the Mr. and the Ms., which is super um, appropriate, and, and I'm sure your mother would be... (laughs) <laughs> would be proud. Is he using the Ms. appropriately? Because if he doesn't know what the person prefers, Ms. is good mm-hmm. because you just don't know. Yes. But someone like my mother would not love being called Ms. when she is a Mrs. Well, th- that's where you want to start to follow the other person's cues. But the okay. default is definitely Ms. And particularly in business situations, you're initiating right. a relationship in person. You definitely wait for the explicit cue. Oh, you can call me so-and-so. Right. When you're participating in an email exchange, that cue might come slightly uh, more subtly. You can look at how someone signs when they reply. Yes, you can always go by that. And once the email chain starts to bounce back and forth, you can follow the other person's cue or lead. And definitely, if they start to drop those more formal titles, you can follow that lead and drop those titles as well. If there's a question in your mind, stick with them. You can always dial back the formality. It's hard to ramp it up again (laughs) once you've dropped it. And um, once you've given that offense, it can be hard to put the genie back in the bottle. So I I think you're in really safe territory here. I think you're doing the really smart thing. Um, Definitely keep an eye open for how those email exchanges develop to start to pick up where the cue is that you can drop that title. Because the other thing is I've noticed some reporters, for instance, who will never drop calling me Ms. Post when I've signed about 80 million times between our exchanges, Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And I I prefer to be called Lizzie. Yep. Um, so it's one of those things where I'm just like, I, 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 I almost monk- have to ex- explicitly say, please call me Lizzie. And a little bit like business casual attire among peers, it's quite common to not right. use those titles. And right. in the same but way, you don't always know when you're emailing someone. Exactly. So new client, I wear a suit through the door coming into Emily Post Institute every day. I don't wear a suit. Definitely keep an eye on that because you don't want to introduce distance that's artificial. But um, but definitely, particularly as you initiate these relationships. Relationships in these exchanges. You're in you're in really safe territory, Xander. So please uh, keep it up. This question is actually a pretty tricky one. So I'm really glad that our listener wrote in about it. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I hope this note finds you both well. I like it when it's a note, not an email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. I'm a big fan of the podcast and my sister-in-law had an etiquette conundrum recently and I thought you two might be able to help. She and my brother just moved to a new city, and they invited a relatively new group of friends over to their house for a poker night. During the night, someone mentioned a style of play called Indian poker, where you place a card on your forehead. Obviously, this is a racist name for the game, and my sister-in-law was offended. She is of Native American heritage, but it is, it is of course, offensive regardless. She doesn't want to be rude or alienate these new friends, but is not comfortable with people using this term. How should she respond if this game comes up again at their next poker night? Thanks for considering my question. Best, Katie. 
Hi, Katie. Thanks for sending in this question. It gives us a chance to talk about something that um, is a little difficult, which is that sometimes it's important to do something that's really outside of everyone's comfort zone. And yeah. so so much of good etiquette is about putting other people at ease. Um, and it can be really difficult to know when the right time is to say something that might um, make someone feel uncomfortable or not make them feel at well, ease. Or when you're uncomfortable and you need to express that to people because it's of kind of a high grade of uncomfortable. And, and I think... I, I I love that language, a high grade of uncomfortable. It's exactly the <laughs> really? next point. I that was pretty awkward. No, okay. no, it's right, it's, it's right, true because right. okay, it, this is this is not a superficial issue. This is something that's really important and can can really affect a relationship in a deep way. So um, what do you think that Katie's sister-in-law could do? Because this is a new group of friends that they're entertaining with. I mean, this is like they're trying to build a new life together, and this yep. is a pretty big offense that she's feeling. Sure. Um, like any difficult... <laughs> conversation or, or difficult topic, um, if I could address it in private, if I could address it ahead of time when it's not right at the, at the, the moment. moment of the offense, so you're going to catch someone off guard, potentially embarrass them in that moment, um, sure. if you could catch them before the next game night and talk to them, say, you know, I, I had so much fun last time. There was one thing I wanted to mention because it made me really uncomfortable. You give that person a chance to address the issue and correct it without necessarily embarrassing them in front of other people. In this case, it's a couple of couples. So even that discussion might be a little difficult. And I think you're you're really honest. You acknowledge the other person's good intentions. You say, you know, I, I so had important. such a good time. It's really important to me that I, I'm enjoying our friendship. I'm enjoying our game night. And there was one thing that that has been sticking with me since then. I really love to address it. When we played this game and you called it this, I was really uncomfortable with that. And you use the when you I feel statement. When you said this, I felt this way. And it, it, it takes responsibility for your reaction. It doesn't tell them how they should fix it, but it lets them know that there's a problem. I think she could probably suggest how to fix it in the future. Like, because I bet it's a fun game. So what if you could say something like, you know, I would just love it in the future if we if we called this game just something else, whatever it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, to be part of the solution, have another name. Right. <laughs> um, but but uh, I, I, def- I do think you want to address it address it head on. I like the way you talked about this being a high grade of of discomfort. Yeah. And there are certain discomforts that are really important. And um, You just got to remember it's all in how you say it. And what I love is Dan's advice to be gentle, express what a great time you are having with these people that you want to keep building this relationship. And I think as long as you come at it with that gentle tone and that forgiving nature, you're going to do just fine, and I bet you're going to have plenty more fun poker nights to come. We've all made mistakes like this. So, <laughs> um, really, good luck confronting this difficult issue, and I'm sure you're going to do great. Hi, guys and gals. Love the podcast, especially because you're in Vermont, where my family is. And every time I hear you guys, I think of Church Street. Yay, Church Street! <laughs> we love it's Church so Street, beautiful. too. <laughs> if you haven't been to Burlington, you need to come and visit our Church Street marketplace. The holiday on Church Street really it's is. It's unreal. It's nice. I mean, there's Christmas lights everywhere. It's so beautiful. They play music through loudspeakers. It's absurd. There's a big, colorful tree on the end of the it street. It looks like Narnia out there right now. <laughs> okay, wait, sorry. Back to the question. All right. Anyway, here's my question. <laughs> I've been invited to do a Christmas meal with my girlfriend's family. My girlfriend has let me know that her mother was eager to secure my RSVP ahead of time so that she would be able to select a gift for me. Also for context, it's worth noting that her mother is not 100% supportive of her daughter being gay and that I am the first woman she has brought to any kind of family function. So I'm very aware of what a big deal this is, but it presents a bit of a dilemma for me. 
I was not raised celebrating Christmas, and I'm not sure how to reciprocate a gift in this context. I had budgeted for a simple hostess gift, especially important since I'm getting my girlfriend a rather large gift. But now I feel like I might need to do something more for her mother. Is this the case? And if so, does that mean I need to buy gifts for other family I know will be present as well, her father, sister, etc.? It's very important to me to make a good impression, especially since her mother is not predisposed to approve of me. Wow, that's such a good question. Um, First, I just want to say that I would take it as a really good sign that the mother is trying to make sure you're included in this family holiday. Like, not only have you been invited, but they're concerned about securing your RSVP so that they can get you, the mother can buy you a gift. And include you. That is inclusion, my friend. That is someone, even if they are maybe uncomfortable or, like you said, not 100% supportive, they are definitely doing a lot of the proper hosting things to make you feel welcome and a part of this. And I would take that as a very good sign. Um, you know, we, we always say this and I love how we get to say it in regards to so many different scenarios, but gifts are, and always will be only what you can afford. Mm -hmm. So while your hostess gift can still be simple, I would also try to make it really thoughtful. Um, and that's where you'll show that you care and that you want to make a good impression. Um, you don't need to, to spend more or, or buy more, you know, like individual gifts for every single person. Um, especially because this is the first holiday and I think it's um I would I would think of things like um asking your girlfriend what her family's favorite yep. things are um think wines beers chocolates um you know cake from their favorite bakery but something that they all really enjoy and can share Ooh. um I think those those are the kinds of gifts on your first time with a family yeah. that I think make a, a welcome impression without being um, too intimate like you you have I'm guessing you haven't met many of these family members yet or that it might have just been a really casual meeting mm-hmm. so you don't really have that rapport with them to know oh they love this thing you know it can almost be a little awkward to do a gift exchange that's really personal when you're unsure of or, or the relationship yet. And yeah. so not your relationship with your girlfriend, but the relationship with the family. So I say do do a consumable, something that the whole family could share, but be thoughtful with it by doing something that they really, truly love. After that, I would also make sure that you send a really heartfelt note to her mother thanking her for the holiday. In the future, once you've gotten to know the family better, you can do gifts for individual people. Um, you know, but never underestimate what that consumable, you know, wonderful gift that gets shared will do. <laughs> I, I, I really like the idea of thinking about that collective gift for the family. I, I want to sort of piggyback on the idea that it's the thought that counts. It doesn't need to be expensive. If if you're really feeling inspired by this mother's effort to include you and because she's sent these signals ahead of time about wanting to have a gift for you. If you did want to get little individual gifts for people, it wouldn't be inappropriate. And No, no, it would not be inappropriate. Sorry, I didn't make it to no. mean it to sound that way. And what made me think of it was too your your thought that it's that it's not it doesn't need to be expensive. You could find a little something for each of those people like if little, you wanted like to. You could do maybe they celebrate Christmas an ornament for each of them. You know, or a little remembrance from that first Christmas that you all spent together yeah. m- might end up being something that down the line people really appreciate. And and if you're really um, 
again, feeling inspired based on the effort that this family is making to include you to participate. You I also really yeah. like that advice about talk, talk to talk to your girlfriend. Yeah, find talk out to her, what talk they to like. her, talk to her, <laughs> ask her what she thinks the mother would appreciate, and she knows her mother well. Yeah, so help. Ask her help interpreting those cues, and you're going to be in, you're going to you're going to do fine. And have a wonderful holiday. Happy holidays. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thank you so much to everyone for sending in your questions. It's the heart of our show, and so we are very grateful to you for writing in to us and trusting us with your deepest etiquette inquiries. Uh, you can submit your questions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also send them in via Facebook and Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. And do note that if you do not use the hashtag awesomeetiquette, your question will not wind up <laughs> on the show. So please add it in. It's really important. It's kind of our way of knowing that um, we have your permission to put it into the podcast. So today's etiquette history segment is going to take a little bit of a personal turn. Here at the holidays where we're thinking a lot about family, I thought I would take the opportunity to introduce everyone to Emily Post's father, Bruce Price. Emily Post was born Emily Price, and there is no question that she was a daddy's girl. We'll talk about <laughs> Emily's mother, Josephine, at some other point, some some future podcast. But today I really want to focus on the architect, Bruce Price. Um, there's no question that if Emily had been a man, she would have been an architect like her father. They were incredibly close. They spent a lot of time together, and his influence on her cannot be overstated. They were they they really were like peas in a pod in many ways. So let's talk a little bit about Bruce Price. Um, his first really significant project was Tuxedo Park. We talked about Tuxedo Park on a previous program. It was a, a first of a kind at the time that it was developed. It was a community development outside New York City. And eventually became known as the birthplace of the tuxedo. Um, <laughs> but the 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 wealthy industrialists that had country homes at Tuxedo Park, um, in many ways, were were part of what was known as best society in New York at the time. And Emily grew up in a cottage at Tuxedo, and definitely that was where she got a lot of her exposure to New York society. That that later on equipped her to write her first book of etiquette. Bruce Price also designed the American Surety Building. It's on the corner of Wall Street and Pine in Lower Manhattan. Uh, at the time that it went up, it was a model for the type of steel framing and curtain wall construction that paved the way for the modern skyscraper. It was really a, a remarkable building, and, and it still sits on the corner of Wall Street and Pine to this day with its original facade. They've stacked many more stories on it since it was initially put up. Another can't-miss signature project of Bruce Price was the Chateau Frontenac. It dominates the skyline of the city of Quebec to this day. It was uh, part of a series of railroad hotels that were commissioned. This was the the piece de la resistance. It was the big one. Um, and it looks like a, a French chateau. It looks like a castle, and it sits on a hill above the city of Quebec. For anybody that's been to that city, it, it really is a defining feature. So from Tuxedo Park to new skyscrapers like the American Surety Building to the cottages in Kennebunk or the Chateau Frontenac, Bruce Price 
was was an architect of, of some renown and he worked on some really significant projects. He didn't have a signature style. He wasn't a Geary or a Wright. You couldn't point to his use of modern line or material. There was no de- defining style for Bruce Price's architecture. But I like to think that I've discovered it. And I think that in, in what I perceive to be his signature style, you start to see the emergence of Emily Post. And that's that he had an incredible sense of right use and proportion. Huh. Whatever building he was building was appropriate to its use and to its location. That's so Emily. <laughs> it really was. And and I, I said if she – was a man, she would have been an architect. That wasn't a career path that was obvious at the time. In fact, it was unusual that Emily was a career woman who wrote to support herself and her children. She definitely applied her intellectual heritage to her area of agency, the social sphere. I like to think of Emily as a social architect. She applied her the intellectual heritage of her father, the sense of right use and proportion of the logical fit of things to her understanding of human relationships. So I'd like to introduce you to Emily's father, Bruce Price, and I'd like to introduce you to Emily Post, his daughter, the social architect. Um, And definitely check out Emily's book, The Personality of a House, which was one of her favorites and dealt with interior design. It was her return to – it was her favorite nonfiction book outside of the etiquette that that she enjoyed so much. So so that's a little introduction to the Post and Price family. I I hope you enjoy. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. We like to end each show on a positive note with an etiquette salute to someone out there who's doing a great job of exhibiting good etiquette. Today's salute comes from Raina St. Pierre, who would like to nominate her friend Shannon and Shannon's mother, Grace. Dear Daniel and Lizzie, my friend Shannon is one of the most polite and classy women I know. When my mom and sister threw me a wedding shower and she knew she wouldn't be able to attend, I later found out that she visited my mother ahead of time, gift in hand, a toaster, which we still use 11 years later, and not only delivered the gift, but took the time to have a conversation with my mother who was delighted by the gesture. A couple of years later, when Shannon was expecting her first baby, her mother Grace sent out invitations for the baby shower. Enclosed with the invitation was information about the registry. Next to this, her mother had written merely a suggestion. I had never seen that before, and to this day, I appreciate the thoughtfulness that went into those three little words. While registries do make life easier in so many ways, I feel that her words were a gentle reminder that we were going to be celebrating a birth, not merely stocking a nursery. Thank you for your consideration. Also, a daily podcast would be awesome, just saying. Sincerely, (laughs) Raina St. Pierre. Raina, thank you so much for writing in and sharing your story. We love knowing that there are wonderful people like Shannon and Grace and yourself out there in the world, making it a nicer place for all of us. Our best to you, Shannon, and to Grace as well. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. This show is part of the Infinite Guest Network, and this episode is part of the Infinite Guest Year and Extravaganza!
it is the perfect time to sample some of the other shows in our network. For example, I am a huge fan of Big Appetites. It is a wonderful little bite of a big show with Sally Swift and Patty Hinnich as the hosts. And not only do they have the most wonderful voices to listen to, but they come up with the most fabulous, drool-worthy food topics to talk about. So find that show and others as part of the year-end extravaganza at infiniteguest.org. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're going to have a wonderfully polite week. Remember that we love to hear from you, so send us your questions. Definitely send us your etiquette salutes and also any suggestions you may have to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes. And if you really like us, well, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. We want to connect with you any way that we can. So you can find us on Facebook. We're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. And our theme music was performed and composed by the wonderful Bob Wagner. 